All right. <clears throat> Clap. Pretty, pretty close. 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 We're getting closer. Uh, welcome to Spar Talk News. Talk your plucky working class source for the news you need and the takes you trust. Because me and Akeem are the only ones holding down the channel and the bar. Uh, this is Spar Talk Jock casting from the best post-apocalyptic homemade studio in the best post-apocalyptic arsenal of democracy. We've got Southwest. Detroit, Mexican town. Sitting next to me at the bar is the Riker to my Picard wow. <laughs> in this little enterprise, Hakeem Riker. Uh, <laughs> Walker. I'm sorry, it was a slip of the tongue. Uh, so, uh, number one, uh, how how are how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm officially actually on vacation, technically, so I'm good. Well, yes, congrats, congrats. Uh, so I'm, th I'm thinking we're sticking with this new system. It's I think it's working well, man. Um, I had a lot of editing issues on my end, but seeing it all progress and with the interconnectivity of everything, it's looking really visually interesting. So I'm I'm uh, interested to see how it evolves. Um, but I've resolved these editing issues, um, and but, but though that's why the the drops have been a little late. I'm going to try to just edit and post this tonight. See how that goes. If we works well with uh, my, my resolution, uh, my, my, uh, my, my fixes that I have right now, I'll do it every week. Okay. But uh, yeah, last week we got to, you got to meet our libertarian voter. You weren't here for our episode one. Uh, what was your impression of Mike? Mike seemed to be very opinionated, very passionate about his opinions, you know. Certainly. I do appreciate that, even if I don't agree with Right. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I was trying to uh, just get a feel for a, a lot of the political stuff. We started getting into a little bit of the economic stuff. I'd like to do that more so next time if we bring him back. So uh, we've got Memorial Weekend coming up, which is big in Detroit. Uh, who knows what it'll be uh, this year, but a lot of folks, fo a lot of folks, a lot of folks, a lot of folks and a lot of folks. No, I I'm no fucks, but yeah, a lot of fucks. Yeah, no, no fucks given, really. Yeah. But but a lot of fucks and a lot of folks are already coming out, uh, enjoying the sunshine. We'll we'll keep you in the loop on all the local stuff coming up um, next week as well. Uh, but it is only Tuesday, May 25th right now, and today in the news. Whereas this weekend, we'd usually see five packed stages downtown at Park Plaza for Denver. This year, Pax Howe will be hosting a controlled micro-scale festival at three venues, TV Lounge, Magic Stick, and Spotlight. Nonetheless, it promises to be a moment of catharsis for the city after the lift of, ma of the mask mandate in Michigan, whether we want it or not. Uh, this, this is after they previously announced a full cancellation in February. Uh, Hakeem, what's the word on the street about micro-movement? The word on the street is people want to go out and party because it's Detroit true. and it's summer. Yes. Um, so people are uh, very excited about the micro movement. I hear people are coming from New York, uh, Chicago, uh, Miami, um, even some overseas 
uh, people who people who love Detroit and the music scene here are coming to support it. Um, and um, I, I feel like all the venues are doing it safely. Um, everyone has some type of opinion about like where we are with the uh, mandates, but you know, at some point I feel like we have to go back to normal, and this is a small attempt to do that. And um, yeah, I know it, it. It I think it will be fun. I think hopefully all the venues I think will be responsible right. in the way they approach um, the uh, festivities. Um, I think so too. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, venues having um, you know lifting mask mandates, and and uh, um, I don't. I, the only thing that concerns me right now is uh, is that the, our Detroit's vaccination rate is not very good. Uh, it's like thirty five percent, and so. And, and honestly, there comes a point where I, I want to lose the mask as much as anybody. And there also comes a point where, you know, a number, the number of, uh, the number of people that aren't vaccinated are going to be, you know, boomer Trump supporters. And I'm, I don't really care. <laughs> There's a point where I don't care anymore and I'm not going to, I'm not going to wear masks anymore. And I don't really care if they catch it and die or whatever. I'm sorry, but you know, you, you took a year off my life. So it's, it's, uh, I, that's, that's where it is. But when it comes to Detroit, we're talking black and brown people and we're talking, the reason is, you know, Tuskegee, I mean, essentially. So that concerns me and, uh, we should talk about that more in depth later. Um, <clears throat> But just a few more updates. Starting June 1st, capacity restrictions outdoors in Michigan will be lifted. And no more and, and more than six people can sit together for the first time. Indoors will remain at 50% until July 1st, when all restrictions will be lifted. Detroit's current vaccination rate, again, is so far at 35%. Manhattan's district attorney's office has convened a grand jury, jury expected to decide whether to indict former President Donald Trump on criminal charges, according to two sources from the Washington Post. The investigation has been um, examining potential tax and bank-related fraud. The Biden administration is currently in talks with Republicans on his infrastructure bill. The Republicans are expected to send a $1 trillion counter offer this week. The murderer of nine in the Charleston church shooting, Dylan Roof, asked an appeals court to overturn his death sentence this week. We will keep an eye on that. And it's been a year since the brutal killing of George Floyd by officer Derek Chauvin that sparked worldwide protests in the streets in demand of structural changes to policing. Joe Biden met with his family today and they expressed frustration over the lack of substantive reform. What do you think, uh, what do we think Joe Biden should do for them, Hakeem? Do for them or do for- For the country. For the country, yes. more than the country than, I mean, this is an example of, uh, they're, they're just the poster children for what can go wrong in the policing of this country, uh, of, of uh, America. So, I mean, he'd be doing it for everyone here and historically uh, disenfranchised people. But, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where he but, needs, uh, we need to uh, put into law things that protect uh, certain citizens. But here's the thing. 
over policing is and is industrialized policing. It's a business. I yeah. feel like I feel like um, our police forces were intentionally bolsterized during the drug e epidemic. Um, I think that defunding them, that the, no one likes that term. They, they didn't call it an epidemic yeah. at the time. They called it a drug war. Well, they, they, they have this you, language of if aggression. You, if the government invents a war and then has a solution to solve their own problem, then that's that's where we are now. Right. So, uh... And, and, and I mean, I, I think it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, the people we have to do this for us is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because they're not... They're they, not equipped to do. They're that. not equipped. Yeah. They're not. They're not. I don't. I feel like they're not interested. Uh, but if you were serious about this, you would. You would generally end traffic stops. You would. You would make a requirement for, a, a certain percentage of police to live in the communities they police. You would yeah. stop get like there. There are structural. There's structural ghettoizing of of certain communities by these police. Yeah, mostly, I think, uh, when we talk about policing, at the least, um, having people live in the neighborhoods they police is where we should start, I think. Yeah. Uh, that used to be a thing. Um, I do think, actually, Detroit, at least, at, on some level, does that in certain communities compared to other cities where people drive an hour, hour and a half into, you know, a community that they don't even you know respect or like or whatever, but um, yeah, that we we can at least start there. Responsible policing. We, it's, I'm not of the elk that we don't need any policing, but we, yeah, we I'm not an that. abolitionist in yeah. that respect either. I'd like to have one on, to, but like and and generally, abolitionists, prison and police abolitionists have been have moved the conversation probably well, more, more than anybody an else. Important conversation. Yeah, have. I like the fact that. They're ha they're pushing back on, the, you know, the whole system yeah. that's in place. I respect it. You know, I, I, you know, and whether I agree with everything they say or not, I still respect that they're doing it. Um, yeah. But as far as, but I do think traffic stops has yeah. just got to go. There's just a, like well, traffic stops yeah. in, in New York where people don't use, you know, they stopping they, pedestrians, same stopping, thing. You know, stop yeah. and frisk and traffic stops. Like there's all these different, you know elements of policing and they're all they're doing is trying to uh trying to find people to imprison or use loopholes to imprison people that's all it is yeah Whether it's stop and frisk or traffic stop it's all the same thing and, and while i don't i'm not i wouldn't say i'm an abolitionist i do think that the defund the police while there there were some i mean People talk about how there was um, it was there was some bad language when it came to that, but it was in the midst of a, of a worldwide protest. So, right. it you know it just kind of it evolved how it evolved. Right. The uh, but if people make it clear that police budgets budgets are bloated and yeah, bloated. and health and yeah. human ser services are completely anemic. Right. Then, but uh, they're, yeah, they're bloated because, uh, and back to the our point, the they're bloated because of the drug war. They, yeah. You know, like you don't have militarized uh, uh, police forces without the drug war. You yeah. don't have uh, police forces with government con like off spill government contracts without the, without the drug war. 
and they're and that's you know the, they hire more because of it and these these are where we start the conversations and why they happen right what what was the purpose you know but that's that where happened. where defund the police is is coming from it's about reallocating funds right um but we should uh we should not keep our guests waiting anymore our guest today is emily Kroos, a former cia nsa and in inscom infosoc specialist who transitioned genders in 2016, just four months before the DOD announced that trans individuals could serve openly in the military. A year later, Trump haphazardly made a tweet rescinding that decision. Today, Emily developed uh, developed security systems for factories in the private sector. As an expert for the um, International Spy Museum in DC, and as a freelance writer. She was also a very good friend of mine in high school when I knew her by another name. Emily, it's a great pleasure to welcome you to Spartalk. How, how are you today? Doing great, thanks for having me on. Um, so, oh, and by the way, this is our uh, my co-producer, Hakeem, Hakeem, Emily. Hi, Hakeem, how are you? So I, fi- I figured I'd get all the uh, exposition out of the way in my intro, you, you wrote an excellent article for the newsletter Self, where wherein you detail your transition while serving. Uh, how did uh, so? I, I it was hard to follow at the time. How did the uh, that work before the DOD's announcement? Did it like mirror "Don't Ask, Don't Tell"? Uh, yeah, in a lot of ways it did. Um, so that didn't impact me as a civilian. But there were uh, there were people who I knew who were working behind the scenes who were uniformed uh, service personnel who it did impact directly. And I, I remember distinctly the day that the the announcement was made that they were going to repeal the ban originally. And uh, it was a very emotional day for everyone who was who was trans in the service. That meant you know they could they could serve openly. So it was a it was a very big deal to everyone, including myself, even though I was uniformed. And, and then a year later, Trump just tweeted, um, after consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow, and and then that was the maximum amount allowed for uh, for Twitter, at which point it's my understanding that a number of generals and military experts anticipated the possibility that we're going to war, but maybe that's apocryphal. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that very well. And, there was there was a short time before the next tweet came out, but I mean the, the result was kind of the same, right? It was uh, there was a question about how a president could legally issue orders around that time, and that was kind of the thing that kicked off that discussion. Like, can't maybe a president really can declare declare war by tweet? And that would be kind of in in a lot of ways that would be a much bigger deal than just saying that no trans people could be in the military. So it set a very alarming precedent. Not just for the trans community, but for the entire but United for the military. States. Yeah, right. And, um, and I'm not sure that we've really digested that as as a country. <laughs> it was very hard to digest. Yes. Yeah. Um. And and then he said the transgender individuals uh, to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military, our military must be focused on the on decisive and overwhelming uh, victory. Sorry, getting getting sirens here. Um. <laughs> Our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming. Victory cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgender in the military um, would entail. Thank you. Uh, 
this was a year after you had successfully transitioned. Well, uh, was your transition a disruption in your workplace? Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't feel it was. I, I was able to. I had full continuity with my work. You know, I, I, I made a plan to uh, leave my job on Friday. Uh, wearing clothes, wearing one set of clothes, and came in on Monday wearing a different set of clothes. Like none of my coworkers were uh, were left in the dark. No one was surprised by this, uh, and everyone everyone took it pretty well. Actually, I was I was surprised at how uh, how how great everyone that I worked with was about it. Considering that the military has people from all all different walks of life. Like I worked with somebody from. Uh, directly with someone from Oklahoma who was very conservative and and he was great too like it was it was uh it was like a former special forces uh attached individual and I mean like I had no problems with any of the people I worked with uh were were your medical bills burden on the military uh well that would have been my my medical bills would have been uh provided not by military's tricare system but by a, just a different you know a different healthcare fund uh in the in the US government so it's not it's not really dealing in the same way but um yeah i mean it's it, what i was using it for then was just basic medication so hard yeah. for me to imagine how i would have been any more a burden than anyone else who has the regular medication um, I don't know uh, anything about the uh, about the army, but you said you worked in cybersecurity. Yes. So, um, do, uh, do you think other divisions, or if like I'm sure you've connected with other tra um, trans people in the army, um, do you think uh, do you believe that there are scenarios where it could uh, be a threat to unit cohesion? No. No, you, honestly, you've I not, that's not, not heard a case. That's not even uh, that's not even an argument I really hear anymore about unit cohesion. You know, there was a there was a report done by the Rand Corporation a few years ago. It's well known uh, kind of like think tank organization that works for all. I mean, all kinds of different organizations go to Rand, but um, they pro they provided feedback to the, the U.S. military since like before Vietnam, and Rand's work is very good at at. Uh, uh, predicting and anticipating changes that are coming down the pipe for national security issues. Um, they were one of the one of the groups back in uh, in Vietnam who was saying like Vietnam is not a good idea and we really shouldn't be waging war. Um, so so they're a good third party to go to for like uh, direct information about things. And in right. the Rand report that that came out a few years prior to the the uh, ban repeal, that unit cohesion was directly addressed. And that report says this isn't going to cause any problems for anyone. I mean, when they, they talked to service members and that was a conclusion that they came to is that it just wouldn't be a problem. So unless something's changed, um, the only thing I've noticed though, is that uh, society is much more open now about trans people than, you know, we were when I transitioned even in 2016. So it's hard right. to imagine things got worse. Right. So as I said, we were friends in high school, and and as I said, uh, I knew you as a, by another name. Uh, we talked about all sorts of stuff back then, um, you know, like you know, a bunch of personal stuff. That, but uh, if we ever broached this subject, I don't recall. Were you at that time experiencing gender dysphoria? Dysphoria, and if so, how intensely? Well, that's a good question. So, so we 
growing up in Michigan uh, in the 90s and then kind of like into the 2000s was was a period of time where like uh, queer issues were never a thing that that my family talked about. It, it, there was there was also no language for it. So like dysphoria wasn't really a, a thing. That wasn't a term I would have known right. until adulthood. So especially in Michigan. Um, so I, I wouldn't have been exposed to the, it wasn't really until like 2010 that I was first exposed to the knowledge that like, hey, this actually might, uh, this might mean something to me and I should really reflect on on where I'm at with my own happiness. And that was when I started to explore the, not just the vocabulary, but kind of like the rest of the, how, to, how am I feeling, checking in with myself. It was kind of a natural, for me, it was a natural progression uh, of adulthood and just kind of like understanding who I am better as a person. Right. Um, so, uh, so the, the, the story, there's a story that just um, is in the news about um, uh, trans uh, issues right now. Well, Leslie Stahl on the show 60 Minutes are getting blowback from Glad. You heard about this? Um, yeah. and, and trans activists right now for airing uh, a piece on, on detransitioners. And yes. uh, they say it's strategically timed when there are 30 states though, with laws up for a vote that, uh, that restrict trans individuals from certain treatments, sports, and these, these laws particularly affect uh, trans youth. And uh, as someone who transitioned as an adult, do you, uh, l- let me just, uh, first off, give me your take on that. And, and as someone who uh, transitioned as an adult, do you wish you had access to treatments like puberty blockers when you were young? Yeah. Well, the second question is, is easier and shorter. I absolutely wish that I had had uh, better access to healthcare as a child. I mean, like everybody deserves to have better health access to healthcare. So like as a, as a blanket statement, I would just say, yes, um, everyone should have better access to healthcare. Uh, for trans individuals in particular, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big advocate. I think, uh, I think that that children should also have better access to healthcare as well, including trans kids. Mm-hmm. And when we look at this issue uh, through that lens of, of trans individuals, trans uh, people who are growing up trans, it very much plays into the, the idea of detransition and why that's kind of a problem in terms of talking about it out of context or with a lack of care. And that's where I would kind of like lean into the 60 minutes um, thing with Leslie Stahl. So, there, you have to understand as a as a queer person, there's like a there's a a very uh, there's a there's a dichotomy, a social dichotomy that exists between uh, straight uh, cisgender people and anybody who's queer, and anybody who's queer recognizes this right away because you start to recognize the way that society enforces this idea that like you as a queer person. Uh, don't belong, and um, you're if if you're if you're gay or lesbian or bisexual, um, your sexuality is uh, an outlier. All of the children's stories that we see, everything that's promoted, uh, is is promoted specifically for the idea of promoting just a straight uh, cis lifestyle, and and so we often hear this this problem like, well, why why would you uh, why, why does the, the, the gay community have such an agenda for kids? And so you could turn that question right around and say like, why does the straight community have such an agenda for gays, right? Because there right. we know that there are kids who have always been gay or always been bisexual and they grow up thinking that they're, that they're weird. They shouldn't feel that way. They're just as normal as anybody else. They just have a different sexuality. 
it's the same thing with trans people. And so when it comes to access to healthcare in particular, you can ask the same question about the way that the health that the healthcare system deals with, with trans people. We we prioritize a, a cis experience when it comes to providing healthcare to people who are trans. And this idea that uh, if a cis person, this is one of the one of the discussions that happened with the 60 Minutes interview was with detransitioners, was this idea that like a cis person could uh, you know, fall into a uh, a medical pipeline meant for trans people, and wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't that be terrible if this tool that we have available available for trans people hurts a cis person? Um, sure, but that's not my fucking problem, right? Like as a trans person, that's just not my problem. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel for a cis person who ends up in a pipeline that's meant for trans people, but again, like uh, we can't as a community be burdened with the uh, with the justification for why this happens. It's, it's not our fault. It has nothing to do with us. And so, especially uh, when trans people are so at risk as is, you know, right. like much more so than cis people in danger of, you know, right. whatever, a trans trender or whatever you want to call them. So uh, we've had non-binary and formerly trans people um, on the first season of this uh, podcast uh, who pushed back on my assertion that there are some parents of trans kids that allow treatment for fear of their well-being of that child, and and that uh, and and the non-binary binary individual actually said that that, that stemmed from a, a transnormative thinking, which I am sympathetic to. Um, and also, I've only ever seen news segments of instances like this, but uh, some of them are very compelling. You know, uh, children, you know, trying to mutilate themselves and such. Um, and I think my ambivalence about youth transitioning and by ambivalence, I, I mean, I have not that I don't care, but I have strong feelings on both sides, um, is that I can only imagine what, a what a difficult decision it is for a child, for any parent. Um, the only thing that I am sure about is passing a lot of laws and bans restricting them from making those decisions would probably have some pretty awful results. Uh, would you speak on the trend of laws targeting trans youth? Yeah, I mean, this this kind of thing comes in waves, and uh, we've we as a as a as a community of trans people have weathered many of these waves. This is not the first time that we've seen this. I'm sure it won't be the last. You know, we we are just the latest in a long line of people demonized for various reasons uh, to, to distract from problems that are hurting everyone. Right. So, so the fact that we are getting our-, our what, wait, what problems are hurting everybody right now? There's no, what are you talking about? Oh, there's about? nothing. Yeah, there's, no, there's <laughs> oh, literally nothing. nothing I can think of. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're just, right. we're just kind of, you know, this is, we're, just, we're just in the spotlight as the, as the demons of the day. And that's- No, uh, it's a, a convenient distraction for sure. Yeah, it's, it's very convenient. So, so- yeah, so for for uh, for us, this is nothing new. This is uh, what 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 bothers me about it is that they're going after the most vulnerable. You know, you can't you can't attack kids, and yeah. and and I've always said in terms of uh, you know transnormative thinking or the cisnormative thinking, we don't trans people in general. I've never attended a a, a trans agenda meeting where we've discussed you know because we have these uh, things all the time. We, we're not interested in, in making cis people trans. We just want trans people to have better access 
to things and to and to be able to get the uh, services that they need right. in order to survive. This is this is all that we are interested in. And so when it comes to that topic, uh, providing those services to kids is, is part and parcel of that. But it's again, it's just something that we have to do for all trans people and make it available. <laughs> And lastly, um, me and Hakeem uh, had a disagreement recently on whether women's sports should be protected. And I, because I think every sport should be like boxing with like heavyweights and lightweights. And as long as everyone's honest about their, their history, all genders can play together. And this is, but I mean, I'm sure you recall, this is coming from someone who loathes sports as an industry. And if I recall correctly, maybe I, I feel like you do too, uh, but do you have an opinion? I want to hear Hakeem's position. Hakeem wants to protect women's sports. Go on. My position is that I think women have made inroads on their involvement in sports. So, you know, as far as their investment in that over the last years, I think that like we should always maintain that because that's something that they've invested in that they've fought for that over years. So I think there, there's something there should be a conversation about making sure that that investment they made should be protected and should be should be there for them because that's there. For Which them I can see, but again, I don't know anything about sports, let alone women's sports. Yeah. So, you know. well, well, maybe I can help you out here. So, so uh, there is nothing about me that makes me better uh, at athletics. <laughs> Than, than a woman in my same weight class. If I was to, to pick up a basketball and, and try and join a basketball team, uh, I wouldn't be advantaged. If I tried to uh, join a wrestling team, I would not be advantaged. There's um, the, the thing that constantly that we forget when it comes to this discussion is that uh, hormones are, are very effective. And uh, before I transitioned, I, it was very easy for me to do things around the house. Like we have a, a Christmas tree we put up into the attic and we bring it down every year. I can't do this on my own. It's not a thing that my body can physically do anymore. And I'm in my thirties. So like, it's, it's not because I stopped lifting. I never lifted. Yeah. Uh, it's because the hormones that I've been on for years have, have naturally uh, changed the way that my body is shaped and, and functions. And so I naturally lose that ability, that extra strength or whatever that comes with testosterone that, that dissipates uh, relatively rapidly. Yeah. I, I, I think what was it, Phelan Fox should have been, shouldn't have lied about it, should have been honest about it. But besides that, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think the Phelan Fox thing is, uh, is kind of a funny thing because I hear this is like a, it's like a big Joe Rogan thing. I think. It's a Joe it's Rogan kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Like, uh, has no cis woman broken another cis woman's skull? No, it's 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 certainly like, it's a brutal sport, right? Like, yeah. it's it doesn't matter that a, that a trans woman is participating and and being brutal and like the entire sport is a brutal sport. To look yeah. at this and say like, oh my god, I can't believe that there's this there's this trans woman who's being she's so brutal. Um, yeah. Maybe you haven't been paying attention, but that's like what they do <laughs> yes yes and i yes. do think if they if they just eliminated the the gender barriers of that and just made made it so women, men and women could fight each other like that though i do feel like I, there's something viscerally viscerally weird about like a guy beating the shit out of a woman yeah like 
but I, but like, like I said, for everything else, I, I say genders should play together. I think that there should be, you know, just, they should just uh, play in different leagues or something like that. Light, lightweight or heavyweight. Yeah. I, but, I don't know where, I don't know where the problem is for just doing. No skin in the game. You know, I'm like, sorry. Like, we, we, we start with this idea of like, well, maybe we test for hormones and that's a start. Yeah. That's not something that we talk about very often, but you also end up having problems like uh, like Castor Semenya, who has it's this woman with elevated testosterone who gets yeah. disqualified because she has too much testosterone in her blood. So like when we get to this point of trying to overthink how to make sports uh, more acceptable with uh, integrating trans people, you, you're going to start excluding cis people as well. So, yeah, a lot of females assigned at birth have been kicked out of sports for this very for a high testosterone right. for this very reason. So you're going to have to you're you're going to have to make a, a rule that you know it includes them as well. It's just like it's you know there's a lot of and I actually I'll refer people to a, a very good there's a very good real sports about this, uh, um, but uh, you know maybe I'll link it or something like that. Um, but yeah, Emily, it's, uh, I really enjoyed catching up and I hope we can do it again soon. Um, maybe next time we can talk a little bit about, uh, spycraft or revolution. Sure. All right. Uh, next week is June 1st, first of the month. So we'll probably make an, uh, another drink and watch the clips as well as a full debriefing about the, uh, from the oddest Memorial Day weekend Detroit has had since the last one. Uh, like and subscribe for more Spire Talk content. See you next time.